and welcome back to another episode of the ADH Dads. I'm CJ. I'm JJ. And we're glad to have you back. We're having some technical difficulties getting this started, but we're here, I think, finally. Hopefully the sound is okay on your end. It's going well, man. Tell me a little bit about your last week, buddy. What what were some highs? What were some lows? What did you learn that was surprising about your kids, your wife, your family? Brother, it has been a week and it's been two, it's been three, it's been four weeks. It's been a, a journey for us. Um, we have spent the last week in the, the, the hospital. Um, our little one came down with a disease called Kawasaki. Uh, it's very rare, um, hard to diagnose. Um, it's got a genetic component to it. Um, so there is a, a gene that sparks this, this disease, um, but they don't know how you get it or why you get it. It seems that, uh, you get a cold or a flu and it can turn into Kawasaki and Kawasaki affects the blood. It affects the heart. Um, so we were on a journey and uh the the tough thing about this is is exactly one year ago to the date we were in the hospital dealing with this with our youngest um and this is typically a disease that only affects kids uh five and younger um but this round this current one our oldest just turned eight so they were kind of baffled that she was that she had this um and the first time that we did this with our little one, it was a two week uh, diagnose process. Um, they had all sorts of rare disease specialists and teams come in to try to figure out what was going on. And it took about two weeks before we finally got a diagnosis, which was very stressful and very scary, not knowing what was going on. Um, this went a little bit quicker during this round because uh, as soon as we said our youngest had Kawasaki, the doctor's ears perked right up and they said, oh shit. And um, they started treating it as such because there's no test to uh, figure out if it's Kawasaki or not. There's just about 50 other tests to uh, discount 50 other things. And by the end of that, they scratch their heads and I go, oh, it must be Kawasaki if it's not these other 50 things. Um, but our, our journey started with a, a cold that turned into strep throat that turned into an ear infection that turned into Kawasaki. And while that was going on with our oldest, our, our two younger ones uh, also got the strep throat part of it and the ear infections part of it. So mama was in the ER and I was uh, trying to navigate the kids and the hospital was across town two hours away. So hospital visits back and forth were, were a chore um, to get you know, mama and Naomi, everything that they needed while they were in the room. And uh, so, man, I just, I haven't had a chance to breathe really. We're just kind of coming towards the tail end of this. Um, Naomi got a blood transfusion last week to replenish her red blood cells uh, because she, they were taking blood out of her, but she was not producing red blood cells. Um, and her blood was inflamed and her brain was inflamed. Um, so they had to go do uh, IVIG, which is basically like uh, flushing the blood with antibodies, trying to get rid of the sickness. And uh, that didn't take well. She, her body reacted negatively to that. So we had to go do a full on blood transfusion and give her some uh, red blood cells. So that was kind of scary too, you know, putting somebody else's blood in our little one and and uh, she was having a lot of anxiety about them just putting in the IV to take blood. You know, she was 
processing it through the brain of an eight-year-old saying, don't let them take my blood. I need my blood. And it was scary for her. So, you know, a week later when we had to have that conversation, hey, they're going to put somebody else's blood into you. Uh, man, that was that was uh, some some stressful times, stressful conversation with our little one there to, to get her on the same page and understand what, what's going on. So, yeah, I think uh, we were going to take a break to talk about uh, crisis mode today um, and, and how to kind of just show up for the family when when shit's hitting the fan and and things are going awry and curveballs are getting thrown at you. Um, not definitely not saying that I have the answers here, but, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely, uh, helped carry my family through this, this month here. And, um, you know, I kind of wanted to, to talk about what that looked like and, and what that process was for us. Well, that's definitely sounds like crisis because, you know, while you can say, yeah, we just dealt with Awasaki with our youngest last year, it's a weird thing to basically hear, okay, well then that means... We as a hospital staff, we're going to test for all these other things to then get narrowed down to this thing because we don't exactly know enough about this thing. Do you have any sort of understanding as to why there's so little known about this? And then, you know, talking about crisis, you're basically in crisis mode waiting room because you can't. You can't really move forward when you don't have answers, yet you have somebody suffering in crisis mode in your little one there. So she's going through all this hell, and then you're talking about blood transfusions and stuff, all this stuff that essentially is taking more time as she continues to suffer. What does what does one do when you know and then you don't know at the same time? So you're in, you're in crisis mode, and you're a parent trying to somehow create a sense of peace and calm when you know there's so much beneath the surface that's just kind of constantly moving and not moving in the direction you'd like it to. Yeah, that was definitely the uh, hardest part about the process was uh, the waiting game and, and waiting for results and, and answers. Um, your mind can definitely go a uh, hundred different directions and a hundred different speeds uh, with that. But I thought that, um, you know, where I, w where I was doing good throughout this process was just uh, maintaining presence. You know, um, it, it didn't really serve our family to, to worry about the results or what the next step was until we had all the information. So, you know, I really tried to focus on what can I bring to the here and now and, you know, while we're in the waiting room or while we're waiting for the answers. And, you know, that looked like board games and cards and a lot of drawing and, you know, keeping the 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 thermostat at a comfortable level you know um for everybody you know as as the husband of this family and stepfather and 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 leader of our dynamic here you know i um i feel like it's definitely my job to be that thermostat you know and um keep everybody at a level of calm that that is maintainable throughout this process. Cause yeah, a lot of stuff does come up. You're right. And it's a lot of uncertainty. So, you know, you can't, can't worry about too much in the, in the moment, you know? So can, can I ask you something, Colton? Cause you said something there that I, that I, as a, you know, as somebody who's listening to this struggle with, it's like the idea of keep everybody calm. Well, how do you keep everybody calm 
what what does that look like? You know, you can you, we can say it, but then when we're in the middle of it, I'll give an example in a bit, but I really want to hear what uh, what your experience was and what are the thoughts and feelings that go through your head when you want to keep everybody calm and you've got a little one who's still like this I'm still hurting, I'm still struggling, I'm still I'm still sleeping 20 hours a, a day or whatever it is, you know, to try and battle this. Yeah, you know, when I first started the the stepdad journey, um, I, you know, I would struggle a lot with the mentality of, I mean, when there's three kids and a wife and a dog and everybody needs something, you can go days and sometimes you don't get a complete thought in your head, right? You're, you're interrupted by the things that you need to do. Oh, I got to put my shoes on. I got to brush my teeth. But little one is can't find their shoes or they can't find their lunch or the snack that they want. And, you know, your thoughts kind of can get derailed. And I used to, that used to really derail me, you know, in the early stages of this where I just need my thought. I just need to have my thing, you know, but I found that, um, that I can really show up, um, and, and be there, uh, by pivoting and just kind of surrendering to, to that. Um, it's when I'm no, I need Coley's thing right now or whatever is where, it gets hard to manage, but in these like crisis moments where, where things are going on, I felt that I've had a lot more success and with my patience, with my tone of voice and with helping the rest of the family process, if I can just kind of just lean into it and just give it my full attention, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm still struggling with that and I still, have to exercise that on a, on a daily basis. And, you know, we talked with uh, a guest last week about preparedness, you know, with Ray King. And when, when I uh, asked the question, what makes a good leader to him? He said, you know, uh, preparedness. And I kind of went on a rant about say, I didn't really see that or resonate with that. But as I've gone on through parenting, I, I see that that's a, a vital thing. But I also think that the kind of impromptu, the pivoting and the able to uh, switch for what is the crisis in front of you has been a huge strength of mine, you know, to just, we'll get, we'll get back to Coley's thought, you know, but let me get, give my full presence to this. And I don't know, I might uh, spark some controversy by saying that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people might say you need self-care through, you know, pro you got to take care of yourself as, as you're going through these, these crisis times too. And I'm definitely not arguing against that for sure. You know, you do need to, finish the, the thoughts in your head in the sentence at some point, you know, to, uh, to, to feel complete, to feel whole. But, you know, when things are going awry like this and it's so heavy, um, with health, you know, um, finances, whatever, whatever the crisis is, um, sometimes just being present, asking the right questions and getting the temperature of everybody else in the room is a really good place to start for me. Um, because, you know, if I'm just trying to have Coley's thoughts all the time, I ain't gonna have the answers, you know, and I'm probably gonna stumble and, and, and mess it up, you know, but if I'm present and, and able to ask questions and practice the curiosity piece that we've talked about on this podcast, it helps me diffuse, get more information, arm myself with more tools and really kind of just alleviate some of the tension um, that's going on because when stress balls up like this, it really does not serve anybody to, to be sitting there in the corner wound tight, you know, as we're waiting for answers. Mm. Yeah. 
You said a lot of things there that really do resonate with most people. Um, I mean, the simple thing is, is you have connection and you are learning this family. You know, you're learning these kids, you're learning your wife every day. I mean, the opportunity to pursue those relationships every day, not when just things are going horribly or challenging. That's when you really find a way to create that calm and peace with those connections when things are difficult, you know, making that pivot because, oh, I now understand this person in a greater, greater way. And I can help them through this moment by basically acknowledging them through experience with them. So what does that look like? I mean, it could just simply be, you talk about something that, that the two of you shared together, or, you know, you've had a, another moment in the past where maybe they needed comfort. A great example would be just giving a hug, you know, to our kids who, uh, who maybe their love language is, is physical touch and having that close proximity gives them that calm and, and peace that they need, or, you know, laughter, comedy, whatever it is. If, if your kid has a joke that they love, it's not always ideal in certain moments. They're not going to just turn, you know, from a, from an open wound and start laughing at your joke. But uh, at the same time, you have that opportunity to open that uh, that co connection up when they are struggling um, through humor when it's when it's said and done. Because we will experience some extreme levels of pain and and suffering at times that we can either lean into or we can we can work with as we progress through them. Um, my example that I can think of, uh, which maybe I've shared previous is, uh, when Cohen, um, fell in the river or the Creek, um, back in 2020, I think it was. And he, uh, sliced open his hand to, <laughs> to a horrifying degree. It's like something you only see in, in horror films. Um, and, and you don't expect it or anticipate it at all with your own kiddo. Um, so I had to rush him to the ER. Well, again, April, 2020, what does that mean? It's during COVID, which, uh, get to the ER and only one parent can be with the kid in the ER. So here I am, he's laying on the table and they said that they were going to knock him out with anesthetic or yeah, with anesthesia. They didn't kept him awake. They gave him painkillers, but he was awake. So he, when they said they, they scanned his hand and said, there's a pebble in there. We need to get that out before we, you know, then stitch him up. They're opening this wound up and the, it doesn't matter how much painkillers you got when you're awake, somehow you're going to feel the pain. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. was, he was screaming, arching his back, you know, yelling, mommy, 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 mommy. And of course, mommy wasn't there obviously through their, you know, loving relationship as her, you know, as her being his mom, the, the nurturer for so long, that was a big source of comfort for him. And now he had dad <laughs> and I was calm at least on the surface, I was calm and I was holding him and he was screaming, mommy, constantly. I, I said, Hey buddy, I'm here. I'm here. And, and tears were falling from my face, even though I was still presenting myself as a calm, collected person, I was screaming on the inside as well. And, and, uh, and then at one point he just yelled at them, give me back my hand. Cause he was terrified. He was in pain. He was hurting. And, and I knew the only way to get through that moment was to just simply be in the room. Um, Stuff came later and I talked about the things we could do afterward, you know, and, and visit with mom and call mom. But in the moment when you're in that emergency more than crisis, suffering is real and it's real hard. But those connections that you have, when you are present with somebody, it still means much more to them. Um, even if you can't provide them with a physical pain relief, uh, that emotional 
relationship is still carrying them through. So back to your point there, you know, just, uh, just being present and having that, uh, you know, that, that connection that you've carried through this is going to help our kids, especially get through. Yeah. One of my core values is, uh, humor. Um, I think that that really carried the family through this time here is, you know, um, and you know, I, I, I think that bringing or alleviating some of the tension with a little bit of humor is, is a good strategy to have, you know, but I also think that a lot of people can misconstrue what humor is. You know, I, I think a lot of people think humor is like making fun of something or someone, you know, and I think that humor is kind of pointing out the ridiculousness in the situation so that we can all connect to it. And uh, I know that when, you know, when I was younger, I, my humor was more based on maybe putting other people down, you know, and through my comedy journey out in, in LA here and doing a lot of stand up comedy and studying comedy and all this stuff, you know, I've grown into uh, the more of the mindset that, you know, if we can just poke fun at a situation rather than tear somebody down, I think that, you know, it all kind of makes us just giggle and smile and, and, and the times of stress. So, you know, I really carried that with me and, and tried to, you know, bring some dad jokes to the, to the hospital and, you know, uh, some board games and stuff like that. And just, just try to keep it fun. And Aerie is, you know, even though, like you say, on the inside, I'm screaming and stressed out completely, you know, these moments also, um, offer a little bit of a break from that, uh, from the tension, from the seriousness of it. And, you know, I've learned that, you know, my Coley time, how I get back to me and how I clear the mind and take some breaths and recenter myself is really through the family. You know, um, I don't look at my, my playtime with the kids as, as, as an obligation or a responsibility, but rather something that I get to do that, you know, makes me not feel like an adult anymore. And I can kind of let all the four letter words of responsibility fall to the wayside as, as I just play dolls or build Legos for a little bit, you know, and, and uh, when I started switching that to this is what I need to de-stress versus this is something I have to do to be intentional or put in time or to spend time with the kids is really when it started opening up for me. And I started getting that relief from those moments, those one-on-one -on -one connections or talks or that play time with the kids. It, it didn't feel like something that I, I had to do. So, you know, going into this hospital stay, that was my relief. That was my, my way of, of recentering was being able to, to go visit Naomi and do some art with her and, and have the kids here and make dinner together and keep them distracted made me feel like I was doing my part as the leader of this family, um, that I was keeping everybody's hearts full, um, and, and hope strong, you know? And that's not easy, even when you do have a good close relationship with uh, with a family member, kids, and stuff. Is is they're still going to throw curveballs at you in response, and and that's that's really hard. And you know, that, what does it what does it look like to you to stay the course, even when maybe you miss the mark uh, in a moment? Um, you know, I mean, I guess one example I have is uh, you know, Cohen Cohen does like to to joke around, and he does have a tendency to. Uh, 
have like a, almost like a coping mechanism or just a, you know, a way to regulate himself uh, to, to kind of feel centered. He'll, he'll sometimes hum a tune or make sounds based on something he's experienced. And then maybe I'll try to play along and he'll, he'll get upset. He'll say, stop that. And, uh, and I, and I, you know, I tend to ask him the question like, well, you know, I was hearing you do it. I thought maybe you'd like me to do that as well. And, and it turns out he didn't. And he tells me his reason for doing it isn't matching my reason, which I find fascinating, but it, it does, it does have uh, this tendency in me to, to maybe feel a little bit of defensiveness, but then also try and make a pivot. You know, how do I comfort him in this moment? Sometimes he'll give big emotional responses um, where he's upset and he's actually raised his voice at me. And, and that's a moment uh, where I basically am now challenged to be a, a, a good parent and listen and not lose my cool when my son probably is wanting a teachable moment there. Um, a, a good example recently, he, uh, he did lose it on me and he got emotional in the situation. It wasn't for anything that from my perspective was a big deal. But then I just simply asked him like, Hey buddy, you know, what, what do you need in this moment? If, do you need anything from me? And he said, yeah, I, I think I, I think I just need a hug. And I was like, awesome. I can give out hugs all the time. And he hugged me. I hugged him. And then he said, I love you. And we were back to everything's cool and collected. So, you know, the presence, the power of that is, is great. But at the same time, my question back to you is when you are hit with that curveball in return, what does, what's the next step? thinking about my whys, you know, and, and why, why it's important to show up and keep the calm. Um, I don't think it really does anybody, anybody, any good if we're all running around like chickens with our heads cut off, you know, and like we were saying, I, I think it's my job to exemplify that, you know, um, for future crisis moments when maybe I'm not around, you know, and, and uh, things are falling apart. Hopefully my kids will have seen that example of cool, calm and collected and curious. And uh, maybe they'll be able to exemplify some of that themselves. Because I think that that's really what, what presence is for me is curiosity. You know, we've talked about that in the past before about asking the right questions or in the right way. Um, and yeah, I'm no doctor, man. I don't know shit about Kawasaki or how to treat it or what the next step is, you know? So uh, the more questions that I ask and the more present I am to, to hear the responses, the better I'm setting myself up for, for the future decision that needs to be made, you know? So it, it's not always easy. It, it takes a lot of recentering, um, refocusing. You know, I, I think I had to remind myself at least 5,000 times a day to breathe and to, to think you know, before responding or, or to give an opinion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I think, and that comes from a lot of work that we've been doing here over the last few years in the dad space and with the podcast and with coaching um, and just arming myself with techniques, strategies. So you're in a, you're in a, a, a situation where, you know, there is, there is no easy answer. There's no easy out. We have to, we have to persevere through this pain, through this suffering. What, uh, what looks different in that moment than when you're just having a, maybe an argument or, you know, a disagreement, what, uh, what, uh, what perseveres in those moments and, and comes out with a, with an ideal outcome. 
I think it's recentering towards the family unit and towards the team, you know, towards the tribe here um, of what we do that though stuff is being thrown at us, you know, I think that there's um, a really great connection during these moments to, to bond with the family and to come together, you know, rather than to go off in your room on your phone and to not think about it. The more that I think that we can sit in the room together and talk about it and create a safe space to answer the kids' curiosities too, because they're scared, right? You know, a little sister and baby brother at home and they don't know what's going on and they're looking for me to explain it to them. So, you know, again, if I'm flying off the handle with all of my emotions and trying to process it, it doesn't really give them any security, you know, or, or, or feel safe when it, even maybe when it just comes to being curious about what's going on, you know, well, shit, Coley, Coley broke down and cried last time I asked him that question. You know, I don't want to cause that emotion again. So I, again, I think just holding strong and that it's okay to ask. And it's, you know, the more that I can, uh, show that it, it's not a scary thing as long as we stick together and that we have the support from each other. I think that that really, really helps carry us when there's an answer to a question that I don't know, or I don't know what the next step is or, or how to diffuse it. Um, you know, I don't always have to have the fix it to diffuse the situation. A lot of times I can do that just by being present and just asking the questions and figuring out what's going on with my little ones that are, they're asking the questions. So when they're, when you're expressing or you're having uh, hurt and pain expressed to you and, you know, you're not directly experiencing that pain, but through your empathy and, and uh, whatnot, you, you experience it in your own way. Um, how do you have the difficult conversation? How do you, how do you empathize without just kind of fully leaning into it um, and kind of suggesting that suffering is the moment or suffering is the outcome. How do you, how do you balance that? Especially with our kids who are feeling suffering in the moment and they live very much in the moment. Does it, does it help them to say, um, you know, Oh, it's going to be better soon. Or is that, is that kind of pushing against what their feeling is in the moment? Do we comfort by saying, Oh, that, you know, I empathize. I feel for you. This, this is, this is very difficult pain. And then do we suggest like, say, this is going to heal this, this um, young one, um, by saying it's going to be better soon. Does that, does that actually provide comfort or is that something that we're just trying to say in the situation? Cause we don't know what else to say. Yeah. I think you just hit it on the head there. Cause honestly, uh, uh, it was the most difficult part about this process was watching our little one in pain and not being able to help or fix it or take it away. Um, and finding the words to, carry her through that was difficult, right? Like, yeah, you don't know what to say. And you, you do resort to, you know, it'll be over soon or it's going to be okay. And those don't help in the moment, you know, <laughs> um, there was a lot of bribery, JJ, you know, <laughs> there was a lot of toys that were bought a lot of, a lot of art books and, and activity books. You know, we, we went with the bribing method of, you know, you get through this, Coley will go right next door to Target and get you a doll, you know? <laughs> um, and, you know, that that maybe worked to a certain degree. But, I, you know, I think that what I noticed in having a lot of success in getting her through those moments was relating to her about the time that I went through the hospital or went through something similar or 
had to walk through that too. And just knowing that I got out of it and that I'm here to talk to her seemed to be pretty comforting, you know, and a lot of uh, confidence building, you know, like, wow, you were so brave. That last thing that we did, you know, I was so proud of you the way that you got through that. You're so strong. I don't know how you did that. I wouldn't be able to do that. That kind of talk and that verbiage really seemed to empower and help Naomi and give her courage to go into the things. Cause there was uh, a time that we, the IV fell out and we had to re put it in. Oh my God, brother. It was six hours of them trying to put this IV in and they missed six times. You know, they just kept poking her and they, they, they got one arm four times and they had, they okay, we can't do this arm anymore. They got to go over here and they did another three times and it was a meltdown and crying every time, you know, it was, you, we had to pin her down to the bed, you know, and that was hard too, as, as a parent to not, not only not be able to take the pain away, but also be like the cause of it or the one that's helping inflict it, you know, to help her down. It, it was definitely hard parts. And, and I had some moments where I had to, you know, after like the fourth time I, I had to leave the room, the hospital, cause I was just, get, I was getting worked up and just seeing her in pain and getting poked and the tears, you know, I'm not good with gore or shots in general. I get very weak, but I was able to handle that, you know, but I wasn't able to handle her screams and her, her agonizing cries of pain. That was so difficult. And I had to just take 20 minutes, walk around the hospital to just shake that off. Cause I was like jittering. I was shaking just from all that noise and sound and pain. So it's, it's hard, man. And, and I, I don't know if there's a right thing to say, you know, <laughs> well, we're social and emotional creatures. And not only that, we, we strive to have deep connections with the people that are closest to us. And, uh, you know, I think you hit on something throughout what we've been discussing here that, that is, is always worth highlighting, you know, whether we're talking about somebody who we care about comes to us with a problem and, when we circle back around at the end of the conversation, they say, Hey, just thank, thank you for being there. Thank you for listening. You know, a lot of times when trauma is, is being experienced, you know, by our little ones or just, you know, by anybody in general, when, when they have somebody of love and support, sometimes they'll say, yeah, that was, that was torture, but you were there, you know, I, you were there for me. And that, that really helped me through that. They don't necessarily, you know, have the opportunity to voice it in the moment, but uh, yeah, that pain, having somebody, a stranger come in and only them be involved with your little one, um, that's not going to bring them the comfort they need. You know, we're emotional. We, we, we have, we, we place a lot of our own emotional equity in the relationships we have. So you being there, even though it was traumatic for you as well, was a huge, huge thing for this little one. Um, I, I think back, I don't know why this is coming to my mind. I, I, I apologize if this comes across offensive, but um, when, when my, uh, when my ex-wife and I, we were married, we, uh, <laughs> the only blending of families we did was with our dogs. We didn't have any kids at the time. Um, but, you know, of course, a lot of people say dogs become family members. You know, they have this way of uh, kind of bringing us, you know, joy and stuff. And we, we create connections with animals, which is pretty spectacular. And our dachshund ended up having her back go out. And uh, it was a, it was a pretty traumatic thing, especially for my wife. And um, we, we had a surgery done on her. But unfortunately, she wasn't 
coming back from it so much. You know, we were, we were having to bring her outside, hold her and, you know, help her relieve herself outside. It was a lot of work. And in the end, we ended up having to put her to sleep anyways. That was really hard. But my wife, while we were in that final, you know, final couple moments with, with our dog, uh, my wife, she just kept saying to her, I'm here, I'm here, I'm, I'm with you. And, and this, you know, dog passed away. It was very difficult to watch. I was incredibly moved by her, you know, being able to be present and support this, this little creature that we love dearly. And so even, even, you know, even if I'm trying to tell myself a story about what this dog might've been feeling, I knew that the person that was standing there with me was very empathetic and present and caring enough to just be there to comfort regardless of the situation. And that's what pulls us through a lot of these difficult times. I think is like what you said again, it's just, just being present, being there, being willing to listen, showing up, whatever we want to call it, you know, just, just offering up that, that physical, physical presence, of course, with all the knowing and the empathy that you've built up over these years to then eventually move on to that next phase where we're healing and we're looking back on this and saying, Hey, we did this together. And then kind of, you know, reiterating like, wow, all I really needed was that you were there and you were there, you showed up for me and that made all the difference. That's huge because man, when you're experiencing the scariest moments of your life, whether it's physical pain or something else, if you just have that one person that you know you have a true loving relationship with, your, I mean, I don't have the numbers with me, but your biological uh, responses are always in better favor than when, in, when you're with yourself or when you don't have somebody you love with you. Yeah, and you're right by saying sometimes all we need to do is just be there, you know, especially when uh, we're in crisis mode in a hospital, you can't take away the pain. Uh, you still need to get the IV. You still need to get the treatment. You know, we can't, sometimes we can't take away those things from our kids. And um, so what do we do in those moments where we're at a loss for direction or, or advice? Um, and I think that it's okay to show our kids that we don't have the answers and that even though we don't have the answers, we ain't going nowhere. We ain't going to leave them to figure it out on their own that we can just be there and not have the answers together. And sometimes that's enough to, to get through the moment, you know, and you learn, you learn what the answer is through walking that together, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that just being there you don't even have to say anything. Uh, I think just showing up at the hospital and, and, and doing those art things and sitting with her, even if I didn't know what to say, really resonated with her. And, you know, we had a, a, some proof in the pudding with that too, uh, towards the, the end of our stay where Naomi just out of the blue says, I have such a wonderful life, you know? And mama said, well, what do you mean? She just said, I just, I'm just really blessed. I, I have the best mama and I have the best dad and I have the best sisters and I have the best stepdad, you know? And, how cool is that? You know, to, she's in a hospital bed, tubes sticking out of her, needs a blood transfusion and could die. And she's able to express this gratitude and, and the blessings in her life. You know, I think that that speaks volumes to me as a parent to see that she's able to have that um, love and hope and optimism 
uh, about her when when everything's fallen like that. So, and the power of children and the wisdom that they already carry with themselves when we just allow them the space to not allow them, but just give them the space to kind of work things out on their own while we're present with them. You know, they really they really shine. Um, you know, having her be able to speak her her mind through that difficult moment. You know, what what stuck out for her most was just those connections that she has and. That's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, kids are- I'm, I'm happy to say she's not uh, leaving the hospital talking about all the shots that she got. She's <laughs> leaving the hospital talking about all the drawings that she did and the new toy that she got. You know, so, <laughs> <laughs> bribery worked this time. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. always, but <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, my kiddo has ADHD, and you know, I know there's, I know there's things that add to the complexity of relationships. There, one of the big things that uh, we. Uh, well, I should say maybe I struggle with more than he does. I'd have to kind of really, you know, dissect this a little bit. But uh, he'll a lot of times just focus on self and what his needs are, what his wants are in the moment. And in social situations, that can push people away. And we've experienced a lot of that pushing away of people unintentionally because he just wants to do things. He wants things within his own power and his control that uh, other kids feel like they're not being heard, not being seen by him. And, and that's that's struggle because what do I do if sometimes if I try to enter into the equation and say, hey, buddy, pay attention to this, or you can't play with all these things at once. What do you what do you think about sharing? You know, he he generally tries to keep things close to him. And he's like, well, I don't want them playing with this because I either might want to play with it or because it means something to me and I don't want somebody messing with it. I don't know. There's a lot of possible thoughts that I'm still trying to work out with him. But when it all is said and done, I know that my kiddo actually truly wants deep connection um, as well. One example recently, <laughs> I got a, a single father uh, as a neighbor who uh, whose kid loves to play with my kid. Um, and the two of them, they get along and they also kind of do their own thing. And, and you know, we make it work. Um, and it's always nice to sometimes have time and space between them so they can, uh, you know, recharge and come back to wanting to play together again. But uh, the boys, uh, the one boy's father had to go in and do some work. And so I was outside with my dogs in the dog park and the boys decided they wanted to go outside of the dog park and play on their own. Well, we have a couple of spaces where they want to climb on. And it's, you know, when you're a parent, you're like, oh, you know, this looks like it could be a little bit of a dangerous situation. So I'm checking on my dogs, checking on the kids. And the next thing I hear is boom. Well, that was the sound. That was the sound of this other boy falling from this wall that I kind of said, hey, guys, I don't know if you should be climbing on that wall. To which, of course, wow, that wall sounds amazing. I got to go on this wall. And then the kid fell and... (laughs) And uh, I was like, oh, crap, I got to I got to, you know, contact the dad. He wasn't responding. So I just, you know, I was looking at my dog who was trying to go underneath the fence of the of the dog park to catch up to me. And I know she's just going to run off if she gets underneath that fence. So I'm managing that, managing these kids somewhat. And uh, I just said, hey, buddy, are you okay? Can you stand up? And he kept screaming, no, no, no. So I didn't know what kind of emergency crisis situation we had on our hands. But then my little guy, Cohen, who oftentimes is thinking about what can Cohen get out of this? What can Cohen get out of this? What can Cohen get out of this? He goes down to this this boy and he pats him on the back and he says, are you going to be okay? Because he knows at some point in there, this kid tapped into some sort of experience that he's had in his past, his limited past. 
and realize that the comfort sometimes is just that little pat on the back, that checking in, that presence, that hug. And he wants to, he wants to provide that to this kid who's scared, who's struggling, who's hurting. And I was blown away by that because too often with my kiddo with ADHD and working through this egocentrism and developing to, you know, greater empathy, I sometimes don't give him the benefit of the doubt. I just figure he's just going to, you know, want to do his own thing. But when the time called on him, he listened and he answered and he showed up for this kid. And the next thing you know, this kid comes walking up the hill, still teary eyed and stuff. But my son did something that I try to model toward him more often than not, which I stumble so many times in these moments where I don't show up. Instead, I find out that I've created an agenda in my head because I'm teaching my kiddo. Really, I'm just I'm just trying to change directions in my kiddo because I haven't trusted him enough to actually find the ideal path for himself. And then he's just like slapping me in the face with like, yeah, check this out, dad. I'm going to check on him and give him some comfort because I know that that helps. And you've shown it to me, but his mom shows it to him all the time. And, uh, and then they do it themselves. And then they, they let others know just how much it means to them for us to show up whether they do it for others or they just simply acknowledge it. Like you experienced with Naomi, she was expressing everything in those moments because she realized I've got everybody here who loves me and I'm going to let them know this is what means the most to me. Yeah, I was pain in pain and I was suffering, but I didn't do this alone. I had the people that mean so much in my life come and do what they do best, which is be with me and be present. And that's sometimes all you need in crisis. You can't fix Everything in the moment, especially when it's a wound, doesn't heal immediately. But man, those wounds hurt far less when we've got somebody there with us. Yeah, man, it's a big miss that we uh, make as parents. I think we're always trying to fix or teach or, you know, um, there's always a lesson that we're, we're trying to get in. And I think uh, that's overcomplicating it. You know, sometimes we just need to show up with a hug you know, and our, and our arms open. And, uh, I think there's a lot, a lot of power of relinquishing that control that we want to have as parents to teach and have these teachable moments all the time. And sometimes the, the best moment that we can have is just the moment that is, you know, the crisis and all the tears and all snot and blood and bruises. Sometimes, you know, just, just being there can really exemplify something that, that is showed later, like Cohen did with that, you know, you're, you're, you're stressing yourself out, becoming this ball of anxiety, thinking of what's the perfect thing to say to this kid. And what, what am I going to say to my kid? And how am I going to teach my kid to show up for this kid? And look at it, it's played out right in front of you, you know? And again, I think that that's really goes back to that curiosity uh, piece that we talk about, you know, we don't have to have the answers all the times, guys, you know, your kids can have some pretty good ones. Give them some, give them some confidence and some freedom to, to fix a problem themselves or, or to, to show up and, and be there for themselves, you know, um, watch what that looks like, you know, get some information on, on how your, your little kid, wants to be soothed. Maybe in that moment where you don't have the answers, maybe they'll, they'll tell you, you know? Hmm. And what does a perfect life look like? What does, when everything's going right all the time, what does that really look like for us? I don't think we do a lot of, uh, we wouldn't do a lot of learning and growth if we just had everything go our way. 
So when they present us with a challenge, man, is it a great opportunity to be curious? One thing that I've, I've practiced sometimes, guys, and I think this is a this is a good exercise for everybody is let's say something didn't go right. Maybe you made a mistake or maybe the situation went okay. Uh, if you can step outside of yourself, you know, just imagine the situation where now you're, a, you're an observant, you're just observing yourself talking to your kiddo or talking to your spouse or talking to whoever. Um, try to think about what it is that other or what you are thinking about in that situation, what the other person is thinking about. What are they thinking about? How are they feeling? What's their body language look like? You know, if, if you ever get the opportunity to step out, like I did in a, a, quite a few episodes back talking about uh, having that camera in the room and me being a little bit too aggressive with my body language with my kiddo, you know, I got to see myself in that moment and realize, man, I need to make some course corrections here. Um, when we can do that, you know, maybe we don't have the video, but we do have the opportunity to use our empathy meters to, to step outside of the situation and say, okay, I, I, this is what I, this is what I see this person doing. This is what I see this person doing. What are they thinking and how are they feeling in this moment? What would, what would I want if I was feeling that or thinking that from the other person? How can, how can I learn from this moment, even though now it's past there's a great learning opportunity because things didn't go completely well. I can work toward the next situation by not simply moving on and then, you know, giving myself all the, uh, you know, the pep talks like, Oh yeah, they were in the wrong this way. They were in the wrong that way. Well, now let's just try to be in that person's shoes. What ways were, did I miss the mark? That's a very beneficial thing for me as an exercise to, to really, especially, you know, with my kiddo, cause that's the person that I interact with most to really live up to the person that I'm supposed to be as a parent, to, to kind of step outside of myself and say, hey, this is a little kid, man. This little kid is impressionable. This little kid can be hurt easily. This little kid can be loved very easily as well. What did it look like? What could you do? Yeah, you know, what's coming to mind for me is uh, the conversation that we had with Ben Colloy uh, a couple weeks ago. And it also comes from the book Scream Free Parenting that we are responsible to our kids, not for them. And uh, I think that that kind of goes in line with what we're talking about here. You know, I, I can't I can't do the treatments for my kid. I can't take the IV for her. I can't take away the pain. But I do have a responsibility to show her how we're going to move forward, how we're going to stay calm during it or what that looks like. Um, I can't take away the pain. I can't fix it. I can't walk it for her, but I can walk it alongside of her. And something that Ben said that resonated with me was, you know, um, when you're responsible for your kids, you're taking responsibility from them. And that's our job here as parents, right? Is to like teach them how to walk through these hard times, these crisis modes, um, how, how to show up for their family in the hospital when their little one is like this. Um, and that responsibility to them, I think, is a really big piece of our reactions and our responses in moments of crisis or moments that don't align with what we think that should be done versus what somebody else does. Um, and I think the responsibility to them is, is practicing the curiosity, finding out what they need, how they would proceed and what would make them better. And you can't do that if you're just shoving opinions down people's throats the whole time. Mm -hmm. And you know how easy it is for us to, 
when things are going fine, when things are going well, that we lose sight of that curiosity. When you, when you, when you keep that in focus and you keep practicing that when things aren't, when things are going well, man, does it pay off when things aren't going well? Because now you're practicing curiosity when you're, when you're, when, you know, when you're regulated, when things are going well, but then you get hit with that curveball from the kiddo or, or your spouse and stuff, but you've been practicing curiosity. Now, now you're turning back again to them. You say, man, I see them when they're doing well. I, I understand them when they're feeling great. I need to understand them when they're not feeling well. Well, one of the reasons why is simply like, can, can they trust me in the moments where we're getting along and when we're having a little bit of challenge? Or am I going to have them decide at some point that they have to shut that part off? I don't want them to shut that part off. When, when, is, when is it okay for parents to decide, you know, well, now I'm uncomfortable, so therefore you, you, you figure this out. I don't want to deal with you. Like that trust eventually erodes into the other side. They're wanting to be with you when things are going well in their world. They want to show up and, and have conversations with you about the things that they're struggling with or just, you know, what's, what's going to be uh, your favorite food for dinner or something. If you give them um, that curiosity in those good moments and then you carry that over to the difficult moments, man, is that relationship actually still growing stronger in those difficult moments, man, I would love to argue with somebody that I, every time they, they argue their point, I say, Oh yes. And, and I carry on the conversation with a positive rather than denying their, denying their perspective, whether it's true in my eyes or not, you know, giving them the luxury, the opportunity to actually have a voice here and then carrying the conversation on as opposed to simply just waiting for them to shut up. So then I can tell them where they're wrong. Man, that trust building happens in every moment, especially the moments that suck, you know? <laughs> well, man, you know, I, I come from a, a comedy background, like we're talking, and I've done a lot of improv and and and, and uh, spent a lot of time at Second City uh, doing classes and, and, and writing workshops and stuff. And, you know, one of the rules in improv is yes and. You never say no when you're doing improv. You know, that derails the whole thing. It's whatever your partner gives you, it's yes and you add to it. You know, and man, that's an important skill to have in my communication in life. That doesn't just go for comedy and entertaining people. Like what a beautiful conversational skill to have. Yes, you are right. And here are my thoughts. You know, rather than no, you're wrong and this is why, you know, um, we need to build people up and we need to, especially our, our family members and our little ones, instill that that confidence. And with that yes and uh, kind of mentality, you really open yourself up to uh, a lot of potential opportunities, information and and, and ways of, of handling it. Because, yeah, I think the miss uh, a lot of the time when crisis mode comes up in our family unit is like, we want to get through it, right? You just want to like, oh, fuck, I don't want to know about this. I just want to get through it. How do we fix it? I don't know. want to know why it happened or how it's happening. I just want to want it to end. How, what do we need to do to end this and move on? You know, and uh, I think that if we can pause for a second and be like, oh, yeah, this is painful. Ooh, why is this painful? Where is that pain coming from? What What is happening here? And, and how can we proceed? Uh, through curiosity, you know, I think uh, is really 
providing a really beautiful opportunity to have the answers that you weren't open to. <laughs> oh man, I just pictured the office. You, you know, mentioned improv comedy and, and Michael Scott. He he has this this strong desire to be a performance, you know, artist. And he goes to improv. He wants to be a you know a brilliant improv comic but what does he do he just wants to control the situation the whole time so he comes in you know i got a gun and everybody has to just immediately like, and we we do that as parents man we come into the conversation with a gun listen to me all right i've got the answers you know and we point that thing at them you know and god i just think that there's such a great opportunity if we're sitting in crisis mode rather than trying to push past it if we're present for it and can ask some good questions, uh, look, think about what that looks like on the other side. When we do get through it, how much stronger we'll be, how much more prepared and ready we'll be for the next curveball that's waiting around the next corner. You know, but if we're just like trying to rush and get through it and keep our head down and go around it rather than through it, you know, what are we really learning? What are we teaching our kids? And how are we going to get through the next thing? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's wonderful to be a participant because you you see some am amazing things that you might otherwise not have um, been able to experience. I've got a, a great example from this last weekend, which was Mother's Day, by the way. You know, uh, we love all you mothers out there. Thank you for providing us with such care and love. Um, I actually had kiddo on Mother's Day, but he wanted to buy her flowers. He picked him out two dozen flowers two dozen roses, pretty special. And then we surprised her with the flowers and uh, brought them up to her place. And uh, he proceeded to trim the stems off of the, the flowers and put them in the vases with her. It's just a wonderful moment. And I just kind of sat back and, and let it happen. And I got some beautiful pictures of him being like surgical and getting these, these flowers prepared for their, you know, their <laughs> final destination in the vase. But uh yeah, I, I, I allowed for him to take charge. You know, yeah, it was my money, but man, did that create some great connection with him. And then after we left mom's place, we went to a city um, park playground, one in particular that he wanted to return to. We hadn't been there in months. And uh, what did I do? I joined him on the playground. I was climbing on stuff, climbing up over things, you know, just with my height, I was able to go where other, you know, other, it was just all kids and me on the playground, climbing up places. He was having a blast. We were making up, um, you know, like a, a Mario level, of course, because he loves Mario, a Mario level on all the playground equipment. We're jumping from thing to thing. And, and uh, I saw parents sitting on benches, either in their phones or talking to each other. And uh, I had my kiddo just like lit up, smiling, having the time of his life while dad was participating with him. Something that I won't always be able to do, but can do right now. And man, I'm telling you, if, if Cohen was on the playground equipment, turning back to me while I'm on the bench and saying, dad, check this out, check this out. He would have been happy for me to see him do it. But man, when we were doing that stuff together... Holy cow, that imagination was running wild and he was having a blast. And I would do the yes and, you know, he'd be like, okay, this is this. And I said, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to jump over here. And oh my gosh, the spider, I got to crawl down here, buddy. And he just was eating it up, man. You know, let that playfulness, that imagination come through. Because you know what, guys, when you do that in those awesome moments, when he's, when the kiddos are struggling and they're hurting, they're going to come to you again and they're going to say, oh, dad's got, Dad's got a great thought behind this. I really trust Dad in this moment. This means so much because I know 
I can trust them in that moment. I can trust them in this moment. They might not be saying that internally, but they already know that they have that security because we are the participant in their lives. We give them that space. We, we give them the affirmation through the S or the yes. And then we continue to let that expand itself in their world because man, the, the world is a universe in their minds that's expanding constantly. And we don't want to shut that down by coming into the room and saying, I got a gun and everybody's got to pay attention to me now. We're actually giving them so much of what they need through those moments of just being present and then letting it naturally occur by giving a little bit of a push to what they're already giving to us. And ever more so important in these crisis modes, I feel, right? Giving our kids the autonomy uh, and confidence to figure out the crisis rather than be told how to solve it. Um, I think that we are really setting our kids up um, to get through these things without us. If, if we're able to walk, walk alongside them during this, you know, and um, as we wrap things up here, you know, I'm, I was thinking about my, my top three things to get you through a, a crisis mode here um, that I kind of want, we talked about during this episode, but I just kind of want to reiterate it. Um, not really as an, as an advice giving aspect of this, but more to connect with our listeners to just say, you know, this worked for me and try it out. Um, <clears throat> but I think if there's three things to remember during a crisis mode, I think the first and most important thing is uh, remember the love, you know, um, just remember your family and the memories and the good times don't have to stop because of a crisis. And I think that that's vitally important. Um, and I think that my, my part two to that would be, be curious, ask more questions than you are giving opinions or statements. And, uh, to wrap that up, I, I would throw in a little bit of humor as my, my third one there. Um, life is hard. Life is serious. There's going to be lots of other crisis, uh, seasons waiting for you down the road. Um, but I think the more that we can bring a humor love and curiosity to a crisis filled situation. We are really teaching our family what it means to be a compassionate and intentional human being. Yes. And feelings are real. And those kids, when they express those feelings and we give them that feedback of, Oh man, you know, whatever it is, that empathy, that curiosity and response. Yeah, they uh, they are ready to you know to give you more in return. That compassion that we hold for our, our our loved ones, even for strangers, man, you you create connection every moment when you acknowledge the person in front of you. So when they feel something and it's pain, don't let them know. Yeah, that is painful. Just acknowledge that. Be affirmative. That goes so far. That keeps that trust growing. Yeah. We don't always have to have the answers, but we should have a responsibility to show up and to show our kids what love looks like in, in those moments. So thank you, JJ. Uh, thank you listeners. Um, I hope you guys got something out of this today. Um, if you're in a crisis mode, God bless you. Um, you know, and, and, and I think the fourth piece to that is, is find your tribe. You know, I, 
I got through this month here because I got JJ in my pocket texting me all the time. <laughs> and, and I'm in men's groups where I have a lot of other dads reaching out to me and, and asking updates on, on Naomi and, and what's going on and where I'm at and what I need. And that has been so vitally important because I am just one man and I do not have all the answers, believe me. And I, I stumble daily, uh, especially when it's crisis mode time. Um, but I, I had some really strong and good men around me to, uh, to help remind me about that love and to help, uh, uh, tell me what, what the questions are in the right way and the right tone of voice. And no one can do this alone, you know? So, um, if you are in a crisis mode, um, you're struggling with the love and the curiosity and the, the humor aspect of it, find, find yourself an army of guys that, that that are like-minded and, and think the same way that you do and that will build you up and, and help you through that season. Um, but thanks for listening. And uh, I hope you, you got something out of this today. Uh, we'll put some show notes in there for you guys talking about screen free parenting, which you brought up a few times. And we're going to have to get that guy on our podcast and teach us a thing. Or two, <laughs> JJ. Uh, but uh, always glad to have you along this journey with us. Uh, Thank you for your support and your likes and your subscribes and your comments and all that jazz. So uh, until next time, uh, we will talk at you. Thanks, guys. This is the ADH Dads, and I'm CJ. I'm JJ. And we'll see you next time.